Hello. Uh, my name is Maria Pasivara, and I'm here today to talk about global software development. Unfortunately, I have quite bad flu, so my voice is not very good today, but I hope that you can hear me anyway. So I hope that uh, you can also uh, ask and have discussions during the lecture, so, so that it's not only me who is speaking here today. So I'm a researcher in Sober IT, Software Business and Engineering Institute, and I have been working there uh, several years now, and my special topic has been this global software development and especially communication practices in distributed software development projects. So here is what I'm going to talk about today. So what is global software development and why that is being done in the companies and what are the challenges and then some tips how to do it. And finally, I have one example about how to use agile practices in a global distributed project. So first of all, I have a question for you. So. What is global software development? What do you think that that term means? There is no one correct answer. So, yes. A project where several so people from several countries work together. Yes. Other suggestions? Yes. Outsourcing. Yes, it can be also outsourcing. It can be company internal project that is distributed to different sites or countries, or it can be outsourcing to some other company also. Other comments or suggestions? Because this is not like one term for for one specific thing, but it's quite broad term. So here is one picture of one case project that we studied. So in this project, uh, we had a customer which was distributed between all and Budapest. So the customer had the main site in Oulu, and then it has also another site in Budapest. And then it was using a subcontractor, which has site in Tampere and also in Boston. So this is one example of a globally distributed project. And sometimes in the literature, the word uh, of the term is global software development, and sometimes it's distributed software development, but basically it's uh, the same thing. And the distributed software development, it can be intra-organizational, so it's inside one company, which has several sites at different countries or at different locations. So it can be also uh, distributed software development when, when the company has sites, for example, in Tampere and in Helsinki. It's also distribution. And then you can hear terms also offshore development and nearshore development. Do you have any idea what this offshore development or nearshore development means? Any suggestions? What comes to your mind when you hear the offshore development or nearshore development? Not, not so difficult, but yeah, please. Uh, the offshore development that the development is done in multiple continents. The development is done in multiple continents. Well, yeah, yeah, basically it is. So the term actually offshore development, it comes from the United States uh, when they have outsourced or used subcontractors or at their own sites in, in 
some other continents, for example, in India. So it's offshore. It's not in their shore. It's off. And for example, here in Finland, we sometimes use this nearshore development when we have sites or subcontractors, for example, in Baltic countries. So they are not so very far. So it's nearshore, for example, in Estonia. So in that, that kind of case, these terms are used. And then these on-site and off-site terms are sometimes also used. So, for example, if a company has main activities here in Finland, then it's called on-site, for example, the location in, in Helsinki has the main, main functions of that company. It can be on-site. And then it might have another location, for example, in uh, tech, and it, it's called off-site. And there is some workers who are working for the project, but the customers and, and all the main uh, personnel, for example, architects and project managers and so on, are located in Helsinki. And most of the developers are then located, for example, in Czech. So that Czech is off-site and Helsinki is on-site. But these are not like terms that are always used a similar way, but that is the most common way of using them. And then software outsourcing is, can also be distributed software development. So sometimes outsourcing is used so that the company, for example, company like, like Finnair, for example, has outsourced its uh, IT functions to another company. And still they have some IT personnel inside and maybe some uh, development there also. So that way it can be uh, a distributed project between Finnair and the company that is that it is outsourcing its IT functions. And then software subcontracting. So if the company uh, doesn't have, for example, own, own off-site location, but finds a subcontractor, for example, from St. Petersburg, so then it's software subcontracting when the company probably has also some own developers and then has subcontractors in St. Petersburg. And the distribution can be also so that there are several sites working at the same time. It doesn't have to be just two different sites. Any questions regarding these terms? Okay. So, again, question for you. So, why are companies doing this global software development? It's, it's not as easy to do globally distributed projects and projects uh, where your your all developers are located at the same site. And nowadays it's quite common that companies have globally distributed projects. So why are they doing that? For cost reasons that it's cheaper to do global globally distributed projects. Yes, that's that's one one of the main reasons. But there are many other reasons too so companies, so they, they merge with other software companies. 
So from Finland, we can take as an example, for example, theater. So some years ago, it merged with Enastor in uh, Sweden, and it became theater Enastor. So then they had offices both in Finland and in Sweden and in Norway and in some other uh, European countries. So for that reason, it became a globally distributed company without establishing so many own offices to the different sites, but just because of these uh, acquisitions and also because of that one merger. And as, as you said, the main reason for many companies has been uh, the cost reasons. For example, for Finnish companies, so they think that it's easier or cheaper to use uh, coding resources from from low-cost countries. Finland is not not so low-cost country, so it, it is cheaper to hire coders from India or or Eastern Europe or China. So the basic salary cost is lower, but you have to count also other costs. For example, cost for communication and and training and knowledge transfer and project management. So there are also other costs that that than just those direct salary costs. So it might not be still so much cheaper to have some developers in, in low-cost country countries than have everybody here in Finland and working in the same location. But we will come to that later on. And, of course, this concentration on core competencies. So uh, some companies, for example, don't have all the knowledge that they need for some software product. So they might want to hire subcontractor who has that knowledge already. And for that reason, it becomes a distributed project. And then around-the-clock development. Have you heard about that? Who has heard about around-the-clock development? If you, could you, for example, explain what that Okay, the, it was always day in some place in the world, yes. So it could be so that if in a distributed process there are, for example, three sites, so that there is always day in one of those three sites. So eight hours in Finland and then maybe eight hours in the US and eight hours in somewhere Asia. So and somebody is working at a, at a daytime always. So that is one of the things that some companies are using, for example, if a company has 24-hour uh, service, that every, somebody has to be online all the time and do some service. So for, so for that kind of software development or maintenance, uh, this round-the-clock development could be okay. But uh, we have noticed that for normal software development, it's quite challenging. So if you have to work here in Finland, for example, that's eight hours, and then the same work has to be shifted to U.S., so it's not so easy to start from some, from code that somebody else has been developing for eight hours, and then again move that code to some other country. So for that kind of purposes, it's not very uh, easy way to do. So basically, the companies that I have worked with, they have said that uh, they really prefer uh, working at the same time zone because then you can communicate with phones or Skype at the same time in real time. So for communication purposes, it's very good to, to be at the at the same time zone. But for some development tasks, it could be also okay to have some time zone difference. For example, for testing. So if you write code here in Finland for eight hours and then you can send the code for testing during the night to some other location and in the, in the morning you will get the bug reports and so on. So that kind of work, it could be okay. And also for some uh, problem solving. So if you have a problem here in Finland and you can send the question to somewhere else and they solve the problem for you during the night. So for that, it's also okay. But for normal coding work, it's not, not very efficient. 
So I have already said some of the difficulties about global software development. So now I hope that you can find a pair sitting close to you and discuss a couple of minutes what is difficult in distributed software development projects. And those of you who are online, so you can just think by yourself what is difficult and we can discuss then. So please choose a pair. Now, I guess everybody has at least some kind of, of suggestion, so please start. What is difficult? There are many things that are difficult, so there are no one correct answers. Yes? Okay, time zone problem with us when you cannot have real-time discussion. Yeah, that's a very bad challenge. Anything else? Yes? It's difficult to control the progress of the development because not only there are many people involved, but they are also distributed on a wide geographical area, so probably managing yeah, managing people at different locations. Yeah, that's very challenging, especially if you have one project manager who's sitting at one location and then people working. Yeah, of project status. Yeah, that's difficult. Good. Yes. Other. Different work ethics, yeah, and cultural differences. Yes. Yeah, language differences, so it's easier to speak with, with the own native language. Yeah. 
Good. Okay. So many of the difficulties came already, and many of them that you said are already concerned communications. So the biggest problem in disability projects is, is the communication, and it's because of this geographical distances, people cannot see each other. So some, or quite often it's so that people have never even met each other, so it's difficult to communicate with people that you don't really know and you don't understand them very well because they might have different kind of cultures and different kind of understanding on what is going to be done in the project. And then you might be afraid to contact them when you really don't know. And when you get answers from them, it might, for example, by email, it might be difficult for you to understand what that person really means. And for example, I have heard many times that when Finnish developers answers by, answer by email to questions by some foreign colleagues, so the answers can be very brief and straight to the point and without any compliments in the beginning of the message, like, like in some other countries people are used to. So, so those other people receiving those very brief messages, they might think that uh, the Finnish person is very rude or he's angry because he's using that kind of short messages and not asking how are you today. Uh, so cultural differences is also one of them. And, and for example, even cultural holidays. So people might not be working at the same time, uh, even though they might have same time zone, time zone. So there are uh, different working times in different countries. And then motivational issues. So, for example, a Finnish company wants to use off-site location because of the cheaper labor. So, Finnish developers might think that, okay, those cheaper labor people, they are taking our jobs, so we might lose our job here in Finland. So, why should we help them? So, there is that motivational problem if people are afraid. But if they help very well those other colleagues so they can easily learn what to do and then the Finnish people's work is gone. And then company border also. So there might be some company confidential things that uh, a customer company, for example, doesn't want the subcontractor company to know. So, for example, if the Finnish company developing some software product is working with a Chinese or Russian company, so they quite often don't want to give the whole uh, product code to China or Russia because they might be afraid that those people working there might sell the code and start selling the product in Russia or China. So that kind of company border problems might exist. And also managing a distributed project. It's very difficult and challenging and it takes much longer time uh, to get a distributed project starting with new people than a co-located project. So quite often companies underestimate this kind of collaboration and coordination effort that is needed. And finally, the distributed projects typically take longer than co-located projects. So if you have a small project that you have to finish quickly, so it's much better if you can find a few good workers at the same time who can work together and finish the product quickly. But always, especially when you have a bigger project, it's not possible to find all those developers and all skills at the same place, and then you just have to have a distributed project. And when I have talked with project managers who are used to working in distributed projects, so they said that they always prefer left side. So if you have to have a distributed project, then have only two projects. Three is already much more communication and coordination overhead. Now that's fair discussion, so how to make a distributed software project to succeed. So, by the way, first of all, how many of you have worked in a distributed software development project? Okay, very good, at least a couple of persons, so I hope that then you will have some good suggestions. And, and the question is here is that 
uh, what kind of practices, for example, for co communication or for project manage management and so on, could be useful in a distributed project to make that succeed. So please discuss again with your peer a couple of minutes. Okay, so let's continue. What kind of suggestions do you have? into modules and distribute a different size. Yes, that, that could be a very good solution if in the beginning of the project it's possible to divide it into modules. But quite often the problem is that you, in the beginning you don't know what kind of modules there are going to be and what are the exact, exact requirements. So the project is going to change all the time. So if it's possible to know, then it's of course a very good thing to do, to divide it then you minimize the communication between the sites. Okay. Very good suggestion. So, if you have a project between Finland and India, then you could send one person from India to Finland and one from Finland to India to facilitate communication. And yeah, that's a very good suggestion. And then that person or those persons could also like um, forward contact because then they know everybody at that site, and both of those probably know everybody in Finland and everybody in India, and then they know who should talk directly. And then they might also be able to solve some of the problems locally, especially if there are some culture-related problems. So it might be easier for them to understand them. Those. Good. How about you two who have been working in a distributed project? Well, Very good. So, as many face-to-face -face meetings as possible. 
kohtaa, että that's a money question, so quite often the managers don't understand the need for traveling and arranging collocated working periods for people. But, uh, but I have seen that those team members, they, they think that it's really important, especially in the beginning, that they can work at least some time together. So, for example, in a project that I have been now studying, which is between Tampere and Vanta, so not so much uh, geographical distance, but they decided that during the first uh, sprint, so they will spend one week together in Vanta and work there, because they really want to see how others are working and understand what they are doing. And they, then they decided also that later on they will uh, exchange people so that everybody could uh, sit and work at least some time in that other location and see how people are really working there and communicate there with people and get to know them. So that is done already here in inside Finland without so much cultural differences between Tampere and Vanta. So when you have uh, bigger differences and cultural differences, then, then it's even much more important to have at least some kind of face-to-face -face meetings and collocated working periods. So it's important to meet at least once in the beginning, but uh, really working together, it's much more efficient way of getting to know people and their ways of working and their ways of thinking also. How about you? You have also been working in, in a distributed project. Sorry, now, now it's difficult to hear. Language, language problem that was solved, like in the example with between Finland and India, that people are. That but, but Any other experiences or suggestions? Okay. So, we have discussed already some of these, so when you're starting a distributed project, so if you are a project manager and you still can uh, affect on which location, and which partners you choose, then it's important to choose partners carefully, especially if you're using a subcontractor, so that you choose a subcontractor who is really experienced, or if you have your own off-site location, choosing uh, workers that are experienced, so that you don't have to train them so much, especially choosing people who have been working already in a distributed project is a good idea and limiting the number of partners and locations is good. And then choosing partners from the same time zone or at least the time zone that is very close to your own. Because, for example, if you have only two hour time zone difference between countries, it can be so that finally you have only a couple of hours common working time because people start in different countries working at different times in Finland, people might want to start at 8, and in some other countries, they want, might want to start at 10 o'clock. And then they have different time lunch breaks and coffee breaks, and so on. So finally, they end up um, uh, working time that is something like two hours common working time during the day. So it might be difficult, even in that case, to arrange uh, meetings, or phone meetings, or video conference meetings when people are really at the same time, at the same place, especially if you want to arrange ad hoc meetings or make phone calls or chat discussions.
and like like just like you suggested earlier, so if it's possible, you can also try to minimize the communication needs between the partners. So if it's possible to divide the work into quite independent modules, that you can give one module to one side, another module to the other side, so that people can develop those quite independently without so much communication between the sides. It's also, of course, a good thing, even though then you still need to have at least some kind of communication so that those modules can be then integrated together. But quite often nowadays, it's so that uh, that, that much advanced planning cannot be done, but projects start from scratch and then you have some requirements that are changing and you use iterative development. So then that kind of modularization might not be so easy to do in the beginning. And then it's also a good thing to have at least a project team leader at each side so that it's not only one project manager for the whole project who, who is uh, supervising everybody at different locations, but it's good to have also a local team leader for all the teams. And then it's important also to have all needed tools for everybody so that at different sites there are same tools so that you are using, uh, for example, same chat tool that everybody can uh, have chat at the same time whenever they want. And then, of course, version management and things like that need to be the same and everybody should be able to access those, especially if you have a company border between subcontractors and customers. That, that's not uh, always possible to arrange. That, for example, subcontractor can access the customer's version control system, but that could be a good idea for efficient working. And then in the beginning, as a project manager, you have to find out what kind of training is needed. For example, for using different tools or using different techniques or understanding uh, the product that you, you should build or understanding the if you are doing a new version of an old product or old software, then understanding what is that old software is really doing. And because quite often in a distributed project, it's so that, for example, a team in Finland has been doing a product, and now when they are developing a next version, then the company decides to take also a subcontractor to work with that. So the subcontractor needs, needs quite a lot of training to understand what is done in the previous versions of the product and how is that product really working. So in the beginning, you have to reserve quite a, quite a lot of time for different kind of planning activities and for making people to meet each other and uh, for collocated working periods or collocated training periods. So uh, for training especially, it's not very efficient way to send to some offshore locations just some documentation of that old system. It's much better to invite those off-site people to Finland, for example, and those people who have been working with that product earlier could train those new guys. And hands-on training is also a very good idea so that you give those new people some simple tasks, for example, uh, solving some problems of bugs so that they can start with simple things and have those experienced developers there helping them. So it's much more efficient than just sending material or even just arranging classroom trainings because you have those questions only when you really start working on your own. So in a classroom training, you don't, you don't get all the questions or problems than when you are really starting to work. And then team building and trust. So trust building between the partners is the easiest to do with face-to-face -face meetings when you are really working together. Of course, you can build trust over a longer time when you are sending emails or talking on the phone. And for example, in some cases uh, um, that I have been studying where Finnish developers um, have been working with some some developers in other countries, so they have found out 
that when they have found out that those, those off-site developers are doing really good code, they have started to trust them. But if those off-site developers have a lot of problems and questions, and sometimes it happens that the Finnish developers start to think that those off-site guys, they are very stupid when they are asking those stupid questions all the time, and then the Finnish developers, they just don't care about answering. So that's not very good beginning for a project. So if you as a project manager notice that something like this is happening, that Finnish developers might be even saying that, why are you asking those stupid questions? So then the cooperation is not going the very good direction. So in that kind of situation, in some cases, the project manager has decided that, okay, now it's time everybody to meet. But it, it would be better to arrange that kind of meeting already in the beginning, not only when there are problems. And giving phases to all sides, it means that it's good to uh, see those people at different sites at least once, because then they are just not stupid Turkish people or something like that in, a, in one project finished. Finish, um, testers started to think that those stupid um, Turkish people who were developing code, so they didn't want to test their code, they were testing the code of their uh, mates here in Finland, and they were testing their code quickly and not not so quickly that code that was developed developed in Turkey, and the project was not going very well. And then the project manager decided to invite those Turkish people to Finland, and after that they started to communicate much more. So it's important to have to know at least somebody at different sites that they are not just names or email addresses, but they are real people. And also seeing good quality work helps to build trust. That's important for developers. So this quote, there's a lot of information at the corridors was said by one Finnish project manager who was working in her first distributed project. So she had noticed that when people are working at the same place, so they are communicating during coffee breaks and just shouting uh, each other in their open offices. So you can get a very good uh, information there when you are working in the same place and understanding of how the project is going and what kind of problems people have, even though you might not have the official meetings and so on. So if you are in a distributed site, then people don't hear this kind of coffee table talks or corridor talks. So you as a project manager, then you have to really inform people about changes and problems and what is going on in the project. So quite often uh, project managers might think that it's enough for them that they follow what is happening at different sites. But actually it's important also for the developers working at different sites to know what is happening in the project. Because then they understand better what they are doing and how their work is affecting on other people's work. And developers are really uh, interested to know what is happening and what kind of problems others have and whether they can be, for example, help them or if they have had the similar problems already earlier and already solved the problems. But if you don't hear people here in Finland thinking that I have now this problem, how to solve it, when you are, when the person who has already solved a similar kind of problem is sitting in India. So then the Finnish guy might develop the solution on his, on his own and spend several days on doing unnecessary work. And also giving the subcontractors or, or distributed workers feedback is also important, especially if you feel that they are doing good work. It's important to give feedback, because I have noticed that for Finnish people, they give feedback when somebody is doing something wrong, but not not when everything is going very well. So some, sometimes subcontractors are complaining when they don't hear anything from Finland. They then just go here in Finland, and then they don't hear anything for ages. So they don't know if that was okay, if the code was really integrated and tested here, and it was very working or whether they are going to get some bug reports after several months because that is something that has happened in a few projects that the developers 
In that case, they were not working so far, or far away from Finland, they were working in Estonia. And then they get the PAC report from Finland after a couple of months. So they didn't remember anymore what they had been doing two months ago. So it's important to give feedback right away, because then the developers can change their behavior, right way of thinking right away. It's easier that way. And also to give positive feedback when those guys are doing something very well. And it's important to have also regular meetings between all distributed sites. So nowadays, quite many projects are uh, already moving to using iterative development, especially Scrum, which means that they might have even daily uh, Scrum meetings. And that's very good and efficient way of communicating and sharing information. But at least once a week, you should have a weekly meeting between all the team members. If it's a, a very big project, uh, then it might be uh, done so that small teams have their team-specific meetings, and then the team leaders afterwards have, uh, have their teleconference meetings and share information between the team. And then it's important to uh, have frequent deliveries of code. It's, of course, better if you can, if everybody in the distributed process can use the same system and you could even have continuous integration because then everybody knows all the time what is the situation and uh, everything is integrated and test it right away. But if that's not possible, then you should have at least, uh, at least weekly deliveries of code and integration and testing. Because that, that ensures that everybody has really understood the requirements and uh, that way also developers can get feedback right away and fix their bugs if there, if there are some right away. So developers really appreciate that kind of possibilities and it adds their motivation when they can see the effect of their working. And also it's important that there are direct communication links between uh, team members at different sites. So in some projects I have noticed that especially if there is a subcontractor and customer involved, that project manager might be the communication link that everybody in the subcontractor site, they talk with their subcontractor and project manager about their problems. And then the subcontractor's project manager contacts the customer's project manager and tells about the problems or questions. And then that project manager asks those questions from his or her developers. And that way, the project manager becomes, or project manager becomes communication bottlenecks. So that's not a very efficient way of communicating. But that happens sometimes, especially if uh, developers or team members don't know each other from different sites, so they don't know. For example, that Indian developer might not know whom to contact here in Finland. Who is the developer doing similar things that you could ask the questions? So it would be a good idea uh, to introduce those team members to each other so that they can have direct communication. So I have noticed that in many projects, when people, uh, team members know each other well, then they can have, for example, chat discussions all the time when they are coding. Or they can have the chat window open so they don't have to have phone calls between Finland and India, but they can use chat. So it seems that for developers, chat is an easier way to communicate than phone, especially if there are language, language differences because it's easier to write than talk. Because writing, then you can check from a dictionary even, or think about what is that person saying. And in a chat, you can also send some pieces of code, or class names, or something like that. So it's a good idea to use chat. And yeah. Okay, so this pyramid, um, the different companies or different sites, so this means that at different sites, there are quite often a project manager, which is this 
middle level person and then the team members at the lowest level and then there are some higher managers. So it's important to have communication links between all those three levels so that those higher managers, they can discuss about uh, future projects, what is going on after this project, or they can create better circumstances for these teams to work, for example, discuss about tools to be used, and then project level, the project managers would of course have uh, frequent communication, but it's important to have also that uh, developer communication. And I have seen that quite often the project managers, they are really communicating, but these two other levels, they are sometimes missing. So they are not communicating frequently enough. And then one suggestion is this visiting engineer, as you have already uh, told or had experiences of having this kind of visiting engineer who either stays at subcontractor's place for some for some time, so it can be a customer's person who visits the subcontractor and works there for a long period, or at least visits that site quite frequently. And that way, he he or she can understand the culture better and and get to know all the all the people there at different uh, sites and and maybe help them to solve problems or or facilitate communication between the sites. So that is very good way if you cannot send everybody to each site to work collaboratively for some shorter period. So at least that you can send one person for some time. And then problem solving is quite often an issue uh, when the subcontractors people, for example, just don't know know the knowledge of customers, developers, so they don't know who is that person who might be able to help me when they don't know so much about their knowledge and sometimes not using their names or contact information. So sometimes it just happens that the sub subcontractor's person who has this problem, I would like to ask, but don't know whom to ask, and he tries to solve the problem on his own and might waste many hours or even weeks for trying to solve a problem on his own when he could have easily received an answer from somebody at the customer site who would have known the answer. Even though it sounds a bit ridiculous, but in many cases it quite often happens. And that kind of problem solving communication is something that you have to also uh, design in the beginning of the project. That how is problem solved and communicated because if they have to be solved quickly and the communication has to be efficient so that people don't sit on their own and try to solve problems that somebody else could help and easily solve. So there could be like one problem solving is responsible for example that kind of visiting engineer who can help to solve the problem or at least uh, might find a other person who is able to solve the problem or help. Or then there could be some discussion forums like news groups where people can post their questions and uh, if everybody is following them, they can be very efficient way. But if only people who have problems are following them and not those uh, people who would answer, then it's not working. And then, of course, direct contact, contact between developers. If you have that chat window even open all the time, then you can ask everybody in the team the questions and maybe receive an immediate answer. Okay, then we will go to the Agile practices. So any questions so far? You are quite uh, silent today. Okay, if there are no questions, so, so first of all, have you had already a lecture about Agile methods? Okay, so then you know what is Scrum. Okay, then I don't have to talk about Scrum. So I will skip these few slides. 
So this is the, have you seen this picture? So then we, we can go directly to how to combine this agile practices like Scrum and disability development. When, when you know what is, uh, what is Scrum and agile development, you know that they are built on face-to-face uh, -face communication. So the idea is that everybody should sit in the same room, in the same team, and communicate there. But when you are working in a distributed process, that's not possible. So it seems at the first sight that these two, they just cannot combine because of that communication problem. Because you cannot have face-to-face -face communication in a distributed process between all team members. But still companies are nowadays quite often taking Scrum especially uh, to their distributed projects as their process model. And one of the reasons is just that Scrum emphasizes so much communication and also the iterative way of development is very good for distributed uh, projects. So there are some successful experiences and companies who have really I managed to take some into use in their distributed process. They, are, they have been very happy. So I haven't actually heard any uh, problem stories of using Scrum when you have really managed to take the Scrum into use in a distributed project. So successful practices for distributed agile development. So I have studied uh, five uh, distributed projects that have been using Scrum. So these are some experiences of those projects. So first of all, the most important practice has been the daily Scrum meeting. When everybody in the team can participate the daily, daily meeting. And uh, there are those three Scrum questions. Like, what did you do during the last day? What are you planning to do today? And uh, did you have any obstacles? So for example, in one uh, case project that I studied where uh, one side was in Norway and the other side was in Malaysia. So they had seven distributed scrum teams so that in all, all those teams there are at least some members from Norway and some members from Malaysia. So all those teams, they had to have their uh, scrum, daily scrum meetings in a distributed way. So they were using... Um, teleconference and sometimes they were using also uh, video cameras. So they had arranged it so that uh, they could have uh, the daily scrum meetings of all those 17 in the same room one after another. So they could set up the connection only once in the, in the room and then have a voice and uh, video camera connection. So the teams just changed in that room and 15 minutes per team. So in the beginning, when this project started, those uh, daily scrum meetings were a bit problematic, especially because those uh, people from Malaysia, they had not used to uh, tell about their problems to others. So it was, again, a cultural difference between Norway and Malaysia. So those Malaysian people, they were very silent, and those meetings lasted something like three minutes because nobody really wanted to talk. And it's also difficult to know how much others would like to know about what did I do during the last day and what I'm planning to do during the next day. But these teams, they uh, continued practicing and finally it started working and those meetings really started the last 15 minutes and everybody found out that they were actually very useful, those meetings, because people would know what others were doing and follow what was happening in the project and during those daily scrum meetings they would also find found out that who should talk about something later on. So after the daily meetings they scheduled some conversations uh, for one to one conversations, Skype conversations for example. So actually these 15 minute meetings they uh, caused that there were a lot of Face, uh, or voice communication after the meeting because then everybody knew who should talk with each other. And it's important that everybody communicates in those meetings, that it's not just 
just from, from master or some very active team member who is communicating, but the scrum practice really requires that everybody tells. And then, if possible, it's of course important to have team room, at least in all those sites that are involved. So in this, this case, for also, uh, the people in Norwegia who were working for the same process, they were sitting in one room, and the people in in Malaysia, they were also sitting in one room, so that at least those people who were co-located could talk with each other face-to-face -face all the time. And they said that it's also important to have video conference, or at least in their case, um, the camera, so that everybody could see the faces and see if somebody has some strange face and for that they could understand if somebody had not understood something or something like that. So they felt that they are closer to each other when they could see those faces. And also they had common tools. So for that case, because the Norwegian office and Malaysian office, they belong to the same company, it was very easy for them to have same repositories and version management and so on. So they could have continuous integration and nightly builds and, and they had also uh, in, in that Norwegian Malaysian case they were using Jira as a backlog tool and they were very happy with that. And they had uh, synchronous iterations in that case which means that all those 17 started their iteration at the same day and ended it the same day. And the iterations in that project, they lasted four weeks, but the maintenance team had two-week iterations, so the maintenance team could uh, um, deliver some fixes, the bug fixes to customers in two-week cycles, but otherwise they were using four-week cycles. And, and it seems that also that in other projects that I have studied, so so three weeks or two weeks or four weeks, they are good uh, cycles, cycle times for iterations in a distributed project. So if you have only one week iteration, so that's a bit too much overhead for a distributed project. And then some projects were also rotating people between teams and sites. So that, for example, if a team was starting a new, new thing on new feature thing that they were doing. So in that Norwegian Malaysian case, they invited the Malaysian people to work for one iteration in Norway and do planning together and start coding there together. And they had also some rotation between people in the team because they were all, all those 17 they were working for the same product. So they thought that it's important to sometimes change people from different teams so that everybody could learn a bit more about that product from different sides of that product. And it's also important to have a product owner for all the teams. So that seems to be a problem in many of those uh, distributed projects that I have studied because for, uh, those uh, projects that were using Scrum, it was quite often for them the first Scrum project. So especially the product owners had not uh, really used with their new role. So earlier they had been uh, like pro product managers who were doing just some high level planning. But now the product owner really had to be working for the project and be active and available for the team members very often. So that was new thing and quite often the company didn't have enough uh, product managers so that the product owner would really give enough time to the team. So if you are going to be a project manager, so make sure that you have a product owner who really understands how the Scrum works and has enough time for the team, because that's important. So in that Norwegian Malaysian case, the product owners quite often participated even the daily Scrum meetings, which was a very good thing. And so, again, here, so it's important to travel enough and do the do team building exercises and especially have that kind of co-located 
working period. So co-located hands-on training period. And, and if possible, uh, you should arrange those visits so that you could have co-located spring planning together. So for example, in one case that, that I started where some part of the team was situated in Finland and part, part of the team was in uh, Latvia. So they did so in the beginning of the project that the Latvian team members traveled to Finland for a couple of days during the spring planning and demo so that they could do at least those meetings together in a co-located fashion in the beginning of the project. So later on, they thought that that was not so much needed or they didn't have to do that during every sprint. But in the beginning, it's important to have that kind of planning days together. Okay, that was actually all that I was planning to say today. So, any questions? If there are no questions, so I guess we can stop here and you could have lunch. Okay, thank you, Maria.